Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That warriors cry to cleanse their souls. And for me, it was as though the, this warrior in me decided in that moment I had to, to stand up um, and begin to do what I needed to do to understand what was happening for me and then to begin to help others and what they may be experiencing as well. And so you asked, what is racial stress and trauma? That was racial stress and trauma. You're listening to Dr. Christy Hagens on Psychologist Off the Clock. We are three clinical psychologists committed to cutting-edge, integrative, and evidence-based strategies for living well. On this podcast, we bring you ideas from psychology that can help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health. I am Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. And from coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. We hope this podcast offers you ideas for how to live a full and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Debbie, I'm really excited to share Dr. Christy Hagens with you today. She was the director of clinical training for me when I was on internship at UC Davis, and she's a real powerful leader in the field of racial trauma. And I'm curious, what was the impact of the episode on you? It it was very powerful to listen to. It really started me thinking about some things in a new way. I'm really grateful for her coming on to the podcast and also for the work that she's doing. I think just hearing her talk about the power of the black healing circles that she's doing. Those sound amazing. And as a white clinician, I can't be involved in those for reasons that make perfect sense. And I can still integrate this into my clinical work. And I even just recently listened to this episode and I've already brought this up with a client, a black male that I was working with. And he talked about an experience that he had had. And I just asked him if, you know, I said, that sounds like racism. And I talked to him about racial trauma and I asked if it felt traumatic to him and it really resonated and I think validated his experience. And it led us to have a deeper conversation about it than I think we would have otherwise. So to me, it's a really, it's a really wonderful framework to keep in mind in the clinical work that I'm doing. And I'm also really excited about the the workbook that you mentioned was sent to you because in the area of healing racial trauma, the work is ongoing for all people. And I'm curious, can you share a little bit about the workbook you received? Yeah, this is just coming out this coming August 2019. So it's really hot off the presses here. It's called the Racial Healing Handbook, Practical Activities to Help You Challenge Privilege, Confront Systemic Racism, and Engage in Collective Healing by Annalise Singh. And I think it's going to be really helpful for people who want to explore this issue more and to bring it into a personal, bring it in in a personal way. So enjoy Dr. Hagen's wisdom. I think you will really find this episode meaningful and powerful and share it with your friends. Dr. Christy Higgins is a community healer, African-centered psychologist, and professor who takes a holistic approach to healing mind, body, and spirit in community. She is a founding member of Safe Black Space Community Healing Circles and is committed to promoting health and wellness, particularly in the Black community. She studied psychology at the University of Southern California and earned her PhD in counseling psychology from the Ohio State University. Dr. Higgins has a multifaceted career as a clinician, educator, consultant, trainer, and university administrator. She's currently a professor at California North State University and at Alliant International University, where she teaches courses in multicultural counseling and therapy skills. She has expertise in racial stress and trauma, African-American mental health, multicultural psychology, diversity issues, and spirituality and mental health, and offers trainings and tailored workshops in these areas. 
In 2016, she was awarded the Community Healing Award by the Community Healing Network for her collaboration with CHM and the Association of Black Psychologists. Welcome, Dr. Christy Higgins. Thank you. It's good to see you again. (laughs) Good to see you as well. Thanks for inviting me. We were just talking about how it's been about 10 years since we've seen each other and uh, it's flown, definitely flown by. And you're in a d- doing so many different things than yeah. when I knew you, Davis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'd love to start with talking about safe black com- space community healing circles, which you've created. And it seems um, important when we, when we talk about those, maybe you can start with the story of how they were developed and, and what they were yeah, born from. Sure, I'd love to. Um, so Safe Black Space Community Healing Circles started a little over a year ago, actually in um, April of 2018. Yeah, 2018. We're in 2019. Hard to believe how quickly time goes, right? Um, and they really began at a kind of grassroots effort uh, after the killing of Stefan Clark, a, a young unarmed black man here in Sacramento um, by the Sacramento police. And if you don't know the backstory or for, for people who do not, I'll, I'll lay the groundwork a little bit because it's, it's really relevant to how the community healing circle started. Um, so Stefan Clark was um, killed. He was unarmed. He, in the end, the, the facts showed that he was holding only his cell phone. Um, he was killed in his grandmother's backyard um, early in the morning hours, um, and over or about 20 rounds were uh, fired at him, and eight of which actually shot him, um, primarily in his back and side. And so when he was killed here locally um, in Sacramento, there was just a huge kind of community reaction um, to this killing. Um, because as, as you know, and many folks know, um, there's just been an, an ongoing and a very clear um, disparities in terms of uh, the killings of, of black men and women kind of for, for many, many years. And particularly over the last few years, this has been, you know, highlighted with Black Lives Matter and so forth. And so when it happened here in Sacramento, um, kind of in our own backyard, if you will, um, again, there was strong reactions. So there were protests and marches and the freeway was shut down. King's games were shut down. There was just a, a huge uh, response to it. And um, Stefan's brother, Stefan Devante Clark, actually had a very clear kind of um, emotional reaction to what occurred. And so very publicly, he was um, seen just expressing um, what was going on for him and demonstrating um, what really looked like kind of distress and trauma and um, grief and and overwhelm. And um, kind of related to that, uh, an aunt, uh, a family member kind of made a real public uh, cry and said, where are the mental health professionals? Where are people that are able to help us, to help our community right now? And so um, backstory, trying to make this short, is that um, I'm a psychologist by training, an African-centered psychologist by training, so a member of the Association of Black Psychologists. And I had actually been doing work um, for many, many years, actually related to healing and health with, with um, African-American people. But in particular, um, related to um, what's called the Emotional Emancipation Circles. And two years prior, um, had supported um, ABSI and CHN in creating what we call our um, Cultural and Racial Trauma Toolkit, Healing and Trauma Toolkit, which we actually developed after the killing of both um, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, which was, you know, a year or two prior. So when this happened, all that fast forward to 2018 in Sacramento when Stefan Clark was killed. Um, myself, um, along with a few other folks here locally, really took to implementing that toolkit. And so Safe Black Space was born. Um, and so Safe Black Space, uh, it's an opportunity for people who identify as African ancestry who have been triggered or impacted by issues of racism and oppression whether it is the killing of Stefan Clark or some of the regular kind of day-to-day microaggressions and um, acts that may occur to us personally or more, more publicly to others, to be able to come together um, and to have a, a safe and a sacred place 
to talk about what we're experiencing, to understand some of the historical um, implications of racism and how it shows up systemically and personally and in our communities. And then to begin to really heal ourselves um, and make different choices in terms of how we take care of take care of ourselves. And that's a nutshell, really, of kind of what we try to do. But that's a bit of the the background, the the backstory, at least, of how um, safe black space community healing circles were were born. Well, I look forward to diving more deeply into the toolkit and what's offered there. And before we do so, it seems important to define some terms sure. for people because some of the um, special, the areas of specialty that you have are in racial trauma. And would be maybe helpful to start with maybe defining three terms, one racism and second trauma and then racial trauma and what that, what that looks like. Sure. Sure. Uh, racism, you know, we often think about it and at some, some level it can be, you know, individual racism, right? Where we may prejudge, um, mistreat, um, someone based particularly on their, their phenotype of how they appear racially. Um, but really what, um, I'm referring to and talking about as well are the larger systemic issues, the institutional racism where um, structures have been intentionally put into place that um, indicates, suggests, states sometimes quite literally, that there's one group of people that is better um, than another or that, and that holds more power um, than another, right? And so particularly within the, the United States and really quite internationally, but we're ta- I'm, I'm talking about the U.S. at this point in time, um, there are structural kind of um, institutional racism that has exist, existed, you know, since the beginning of um, this country. And so, so racism um, has to do, and particularly as I'm talking about with Black people, um, some of the, the ideas that we are inherently or genetically inferior, um, in particular to um, people who are white. Okay. And so when we talk about racism, and then we begin to talk about trauma, Um, you know, many of us have experienced trauma regardless of our racial, ethnic, cultural um, background, right? Or we may have experienced stress. Um, And and stress is kind of that normal, everyday stuff that we live with, right? Most of us have bills to pay, or we may have children or, or elders or family members that we're helping to take care of, or we might have health issues. So stress, right? Versus trauma is kind of that next level, that next layer of what can be called toxic stress or um, these wounds that um, are very difficult to, to heal from. And that might, may actually um, suggest when you are in a traumatic situation that you might be uh, in fear of being killed um, or threatened in some way. And so there's Racism, right? And then we've got trauma, and then you tie the two together. <laughs> what we're talking about is is racialized trauma, or sometimes what is referred to as post-traumatic slavery syndrome, or PTSD in a kind of different way. Um, but this idea that, again, because of one's race, uh, that you are specifically um, potentially uh, targeted and or have reactions um, based on the idea of of who you are and your race. So the idea of trauma, just to kind of speak to that, right, is when a person may experience, witness, or you're confronted with an event or events that involve actual or threatened um, death or serious injury, right? Or when your integrity of who you are of yourself or others is compromised in some way or is threatened. And so you feel intensely fearful, angry, um, helpless, maybe kind of horrified in those situations. And then when we think about kind of historical and racial trauma, it's the idea of this cumulative kind of emotional, psychological wounding that has occurred over time, over our own lifespan, perhaps, as well as across generations of people who identify as African or as African-American. So it's kind of this idea of massive group um, intergenerational trauma that has occurred. 
And so we're thinking about things that have been historical. So Jim Crow, so the implications of that, uh, of course, enslavement. Um, and then even right now, kind of more current um, practices around like stop and frisk, racial profiling, um, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And how would someone know if they were experiencing racial stress or trauma? Mm. What is it? How does it show up in the body and um, thoughts and emotions? Right. That's a great question. I actually want to start with just an example of how it showed up in me, um, because sometimes we're not even aware, obvious of what it might look like or, or be like. And so um, I, I, something I, I share that's really quite personal, but it's, I think, a really good example is, you know, I was telling you the toolkit was uh, developed a couple summers ago and um it's actually 2016 after the, the killings of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, right? There were two black men that were killed kind of back to back that were either unarmed or um, armed, but with a permit and that kind of thing. Um, that was also um, just a very challenging time. And one for me in which I was hoping to implement some of these circles and educate folks about this work I'm sharing with you right now. Um, and I found that there was a stretch of days, um, two, three, maybe four days in a row, where I just wasn't feeling myself. Um, and I couldn't quite pin down what was going on, but I was waking up kind of super early in the morning, like every morning about four o'clock. Um, I wasn't sleeping well in the first place. My appetite was just not, not itself. I wasn't hungry. Um, I felt super irritable um, at everything and everyone. And I was kind of noticing and just witnessing all the acts that I felt were oppressive or racist that were kind of going on around me. Um, And at one point, maybe again, within a week or so after those two black men were killed and I was experiencing all these things um, and I woke up again at four o'clock in the morning, I just got up. I was like, this is crazy. Let me just get up. I kept trying to force myself back to sleep. And then I just started crying, um, like sobbing, literally um, brought to my knees for hours and, and hours and hours, like throughout the entire day. I couldn't, couldn't stop. I kept having kind of flashes and, and memories of, you know, seeing some of the police coverage of the, the killings of these men and um, kind of the stories of their families, of just things I didn't quite even know what was happening for me. Um, and so I, it wasn't until maybe late until that day or later until that um, evening, that afternoon, that I finally kind of stopped. Um, and for me, I tapped into some of what I had learned through um, African-centered psychology. And it was this quote that kind of came to me. And it's a Tongan saying, and it says, um, warriors cry to cleanse their souls. I'll say that again. It's mm-hmm. so powerful, right? Just take that in that warriors cry to cleanse their souls. And for me, it was as though the, this warrior in me decided in that moment I had to, to stand up um, and begin to do what I needed to do to understand what was happening for me and then to begin to help others and what they may be experiencing as well. And so you asked, what is racial stress and trauma? That was racial stress and trauma. I was feeling traumatized, overwhelmed by what I had witnessed, by my own kind of personal experiences that were tapped around, um, issues with law enforcement, family kind of history and background, um, things that I didn't even know kind of were going on. And it, and it showed up in all the different ways that we would associate in, um, with trauma, right? So my sleeping, my eating, my emotions, my reactions, um, my irritability, um, the tearfulness, the overwhelm, all of those things. And, um, and so that's, that's what it can look like. And I sometimes joke, but I, it's not a joke um, that when people of African ancestry are being bombarded by so much messaging around our inhumanity um, or seeing our lives just not being valued for anything, um, it, it again creates this, um, this level of, of 
of stress and overwhelm that can be almost crippling. And so I joke around the idea of calling in black, right? How we call in sick, um, calling in black. And that is literally, I didn't call in black in terms of call my boss and say, I'm calling in black today, but I called in sick that day um, because my mental, emotional, physical health, I was not well. I was not well enough um, to show up and be present and perform in the way that I needed to. Um, mm-hmm. and, and later on, and I'll just briefly mention, I'll, I can say more later, but there's research that actually shows um, that uh, people of African ancestry and, and other people of color, but particularly this research, was looking at um, unarmed black killings of unarmed black men by police, by law enforcement. Um, it was done recently, like 2014, 2016. They surveyed over 100,000 African-American folks and, um, and white folks who lived in states where there had been a killing of black men within the past three months. Um, And they looked at kind of health and mental health outcomes um, and various factors. And they found that African-Americans were more likely to endorse having a sick day or having their health um, impacted um, than people who identified as white when an African-American person who was unarmed, was killed by law enforcement. So just the reality of mm, this is this is what I'm referring to um, when we talk about racial trauma. You were talking about some of the psychological impacts of racism, and there's also really alarming health impacts. Recently, the city of Milwaukee uh, defined racism as a public health crisis. And the reason why they did that was because of the urgency of the situation, as well as the resources that they need to be distributed um, to address the level of the problem that is occurring. And everything in terms of a public health crisis from differences in graduation rates to employment rates to the the, the speed at which an ambulance will show up at your house, given your race. Um, So there's this massive, um, not only psychological impacts, but also physical impacts of racial trauma. And what I really heard in your um, description there was three pieces. One was the awareness component, identifying uh, and waking up to, okay, the, the changes that I'm having in my sleep or my appetite is due to this. This is the cause. Racial trauma is the cause, not, not something else going on here. Um, and then I also heard you, when using that quote, connect to something bigger, a, you know, a bigger source and, and resource, um, spiritual resource, as well as practice of self-care. And it seems like those three components are really at the core of uh, your racial trauma, the toolkit that you've created. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the emotional wellness skills that you teach. Thank you, Diana, for noting all of that. And I'm going to actually go back a little bit to one of the first things you said about racism being a public health, you know, like it's a crisis. And the idea that this impacts everyone, like our entire kind of world really has been um, kind of caught up in some of the the lies around the the inhumanity of uh, people of African ancestry and the ways that it shows up, particularly for um, people who are black, is in almost every um, area of our lives, right? So whether it's in mental health, physical health, it's the criminal justice system, uh, educational system, um, that there are just layers in which we can see how the, it, our institutions have systemically impacted um, who we are. And so I think that there's much work to be done. Um, and another quote that I like, and then I'll respond to your question. Um, another quote that I really like is um, Alice Walker says that healing Basically, healing begins where the wound was made. Healing begins where the wound was made or must really begin there. And when we think about, again, the historical legacies of of racism, implicit kind of bias and all of these things that are so present for us right now that uh, that there's work to do on lots of different avenues and that I have come to realize that my avenue is around um, helping people understand that there's healing that needs to be done individually and at the community level. And so um, you were asking now, take me to the first question (laughs) you asked me was, 
but the question was around the emotional wellness. So how do we teach them how you, how you do that healing? Yeah. Okay. So some of it is just awareness. Like there's something going on people, right? Like let's just acknowledge that there's something going on and it's, and it can be related to race and, and again, not everything I want to just state, not everything is related to race and racism. I understand that. And then we're complex beings, right? Right. We have multiple intersecting identities. And, and so part of what um, I'm doing or wanting to do for the, the black community is just recognize that this is, this is part of our, our story. Okay. The idea of just health and mental health and wellness and how race and racism and oppression can be a part of that. So that's just the first step is just awareness. Right. Um, and then a piece of that is the unpacking of um, what is what is ours and what is really our strength. What are our what is the resilience that is true to who we are as um, people of African ancestry? Um, because gosh, there's so much to say, Diana. I, I'm going in all these different directions. So let me just finish this thought. Um, so part of it is understanding, again, what the history is. So that then you can begin to engage in, in behaviors or decisions about yourself, your family, your community that are going to be good and healthy for you. Um, and so you had mentioned for me in my previous quote that there was something bigger, like this idea of, of source or um, the universe, this divine force. And part of what African-centered psychology really talks about um, is very, very spiritual in nature. Um, not necessarily religious, so it isn't about proselytizing or um, having someone engage in any particular religious belief, but this idea um, as it connects to um, some of the historical connections and cultural connections, um, that we are spiritual beings manifest in these material bodies, Um, and that the idea that there's this divine order, this um, divine force that's always kind of working on everyone's behalf. Um, and so part of what we talk about in healing circles, part about self-care for, as it relates to me and um, in these uh, circles is being able to really connect with that truth um, versus kind of the understanding and the unpacking of the lies that disconnect us from that truth um, and from who we are. Um, and that tell us that in whatever ways, because we show up with darker skin or black skin, that somehow that um, makes us inferior. So it's a kind of challenging of that. Um, and then we teach other kind of real just practical skills. There's a lot of uh, real powerful things that happen, both in safe black space community uh, healing circles, as well in, as in the emotional emancipation circles. Um, some of it is uh, affirmations. So sharing just positive quotes, some of which, you know, I'm sharing with you today, right, that kind of allow us to rethink, to reimagine, to um, conceptualize ourselves in different ways or to understand what we might be going through. Okay. Um, also real practical skills. So teaching kind of deep uh, breathing, diaphragmatic breathing techniques or um, strategies that we engage, particularly in safe black space. Um, and having people kind of write out just what's a, a note card that they can take, that they identify, um, that they take with them around something that they're going to do to take care of themselves um, throughout the next day, weeks, or, or months to come. Can you describe for us a little bit about what the safe black space groups look like and what their structure is? And actually, I want to back up and just acknowledge that I'm kind of simultaneously describing the work that, that I am doing and that we are doing here in Sacramento, which are called Safe Black Space Community Healing Circles, which evolved out of the work of the toolkit that I was describing earlier, right, which is really, um, I want to call them the baby or the grandchild of um, the emotional emancipation circles, which were developed by the Community Healing Network and the Association of Black Psychologists. So, um, there's lots of overlap, but, and there's also some differences. So I'm going to kind of speak real generally, but also just acknowledge there's a few different things I'm describing at the same time. So, um, but regardless, the, the work that, um, CHN, Community Healing Network, ABCI, Association of Black Psychologists, and Safe Black Space, the work that, that all of us are doing it and others, but the targeted work is really, um, identified around supporting, um, black people. 
people who identify as being black, of being of African ancestry, in part because of much of what I've already shared with you, recognizing the disparities, recognizing some of the lies that have been told around um, who we are. I want to mention um, this video clip from um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, where he talks about somebody telling a lie one day. And he you know, basically says that somebody told a lie one day and they made everything black, ugly, and evil. And how that really, if we condense down much of the messaging of what we're doing is really trying to um, unpack that and to, to, to identify the mistruth that is, that is beneath that. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to a group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own Emancipation Proclamation. Let anybody take your manhood. Be proud of our heritage. As somebody said earlier tonight, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. Somebody told a lie one day. They couched it in language. They made everything black ugly and evil, look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black. It's always something degrading and low and sinister. Look at the word white. It's always something pure, high and clean. But I want to get the language right tonight. I want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out, Yes, I'm black. I'm proud of it. I'm black and beautiful. Also in that understanding that there's been a lot of trauma um, that has happened to black people as a result of that lie, right, through the enslavement, process, through um, civil rights, through Jim Crow, through even now, many of the experiences that we're having. And so um, because of that, I use this analogy for why these circles are specifically just for Black people. Um, and it's this idea that, you know, sometimes we can be re-traumatized unintentionally um, when we are in mixed company, uh, people who identify as, as being Black or we can feel as though we have to take care of people who are white and right. We've heard of the, the phrase of, of white privilege or, or white guilt or now even the terminology white fragility, right? Or people who are black and feel like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to come across as an angry black woman. And, you know, so, so I say all this just to, to lay some of the groundwork about why it's necessary just for, Black people to come together to, to address their own family wounds and to kind of take care of some of the, the intentional psychological oppression that has happened as a result of, um, of our history. And so I just want to use the analogy. Sometimes we get a little pushback um, when, when we say, okay, well, you know, this space right here is just for people who identify as black or why and that kind of thing. And I, I just want to use the analogy, um, similar, like perhaps to the Me Too movement, right? When we think about sexual assault, when we think about women in particular who may have been victimized by, um, a man or someone who identifies as male and we intentionally create spaces for women only. Um, to take care of managing their trauma as it might relate to sexual abuse 
it's a similar dynamic to what we're talking about here, right? Kind of creating a safe space for people who've been traumatized by a more dominant kind of culture to come together um, and to heal themselves. And so the primary kind of effort of Safe Black Space, of the EECs, is to serve kind of broader Black community, kind of understanding that it's the lives that have created all of these issues um, that we are, are experiencing in our families and our homes and our communities and in, you know, larger society. So, and I love that analogy. And I think that, that, uh, just as in that analogy of um, assault with, with women, that it's not that the men don't need to do their work. Correct. It's just that when, a, when women are having a, a group around these really, um, really vulnerable parts of themselves and, and feel vulnerable with men present, the men need to be out of that group. Right. <laughs> you know, like we need right. to like have that space. Yep. And I think the same, what in my experience of um, being at UC Davis with you, uh, there was uh, the option or opportunity to participate in the white ally group for the year. Mm. And I came into UC Davis with such little exposure to issues around diversity. And as a uh, white woman in a predominantly white town in a, you know, I had like I was and still am but I'm working on it, <laughs> clueless, cluelessness. Mm. And what was so important was for me to be able to, to go into and feel some of the pain mm. uh, in that, in that group without being what you, what you were saying, like without having to then be taken care of mm-hmm. by my white, my um, black colleague or mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. Uh, people of color in our program, that that's not like that actually. And I see that also showing up in the men, women dynamic around right. Um, right. Uh, uh, sexual assault, mm-hmm. you know, sexual trauma, all of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're, you're talking about something that's really, really, really important. Yeah. And that also white people need to do their work as well <laughs> and finding groups or finding um, ways to, to also experience, experience pain. And I, I think that um, part of the problem is emotional avoidance. Yeah. And um, part of the problem for white people, only speaking for myself as a white person, is my is my own emotional avoidance because I can emotionally avoid. Mm-hmm. And when um, Steve Hayes talks about um, the values and being and pain being on two sides of the same coin, in order to contact and connect with the values around changing racism or making systemic change or grassroots change we can't do that without being open to experience pain. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I totally agree that um, it's uncomfortable (laughs) doing this work, Mm -hmm. having these conversations, um, being willing to be courageous and take the risk, um, you know, on all sides can be challenging. And I think, that for, again, I'm not white, so I can't say exactly, but I think uh, you are really um, tapping into something that is, is super important. And um, I was smiling. I know folks can't see us, but I was smiling when you made the comment about white, white people have to do their work. I um, frequently do well, various trainings with sometimes mixed groups of folks, sometimes primarily African-American, sometimes only African-Americans. Um, and that's a phrase that I talk about is like, we have to do our work as black people, white people need to do their work, you know, other groups as well, right? LGBT folks, like we need our own kind of safe, sacred spaces to really process, to understand, to learn, to grow. And yeah, we need to come together as well, right? And be able to have opportunities to, to work through all of these, this, these wounds, right? That I've been talking about. Yeah. And I also would love to address some of the real deficits in um, psychology training programs. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about, because, well, first of all, I want to kind of rewind. If you have somebody coming into your practice, that's talking about things like I'm not sleeping as well. My appetite is low. I'm depressed. I'm having a hard time going to work. And if you aren't trained in, okay, this could be symptoms of racial trauma what does that look like? Right. Mm-hmm. It, it could be dismissed as, I don't know what some, you know, psychologists would put on, Oh, this is just depression mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how you see 
psychologists could, we could raise the accountability of psychologists in terms of cultural accountability, as well as training for mental health professionals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yes, I want to respond to that question. And I'm going to respond by starting with what you had said that um, I had forgotten about that made me smile and think, oh, yeah, when you had shared that you had been part of was the voluntary, um, but the white ally group, right at UC Davis mm -hmm. back in the way back in the day. Um, but this idea of, and what we were just discussing in some ways, like everybody needs to do their work. Um, and so um, for psychologists, whether you are entering the field um, or whether you are finishing internship or just getting licensed or you're old timer, but just this idea of um, staying connected um, being self-aware, um, being willing to kind of grow and learn. Um, two things come to mind for me. One is it's, a, again, another African-centered kind of proverb that, that talks about self-knowledge as the basis of all knowledge, right? So self-knowledge being the basis of all knowledge. And so um, for those of us who are doing this work to be willing to be humble enough to kind of stay engaged and where do I need to learn and grow and when am I feeling uncomfortable and, you know, um, when do I need to ask questions? When do I need to refer? Like just being in touch and I'm tuned into that I think is really critical. Um, the other thing that comes up uh, for me, it's not a term we use as much in psychology or the medical kind of field, but I think really a, a uh, used in the medical field, but it's really applicable, and that's cultural humility, right? Cultural humility, and um, basically it's the idea of being culturally competent, right, that that never ends, that we're always learning and growing, and that we're willing to kind of use our clients, our patients for their expertise and not, quote, unquote, use them like, right, they have to educate us on everything, and we become the student and they're the teacher, um, but to be willing to be engaged in a process where we're humble enough to say, I don't know, or where can I learn and grow? Um, and so I feel like those are two kind of critical pieces, right? Being willing to be self-aware, being a will willing to engage in cultural humility, to stay on this path um, indefinitely. Um, and I think the other part I didn't quite say, um, but alluded to is this idea of um, community. Or, you know, when you talked about your white ally group, or I was reflecting at that time, we had diversity dialogues, right? And we'd bring everybody together, or I was doing a group at the time called Sister Sister, which was just for black women. Um, where was I going with that? Shoot. Oh, community, right? The idea that um, there's something, um, and we know about this from our work with doing groups and group therapy, but that can be healing and transformative when we come together with either either like-minded people or people that have the same kind of uh, energy and interest in, in moving things forward in a certain direction. And so I, I encourage people to find that community for themselves so they can begin to take that on and do it in a way that um, may feel scary and uncomfortable at times but where, you know, where you're getting held and um, getting pushed and challenged in ways that will only make you grow and help those then that you are working with grow. And what you're also, I think, alluding to is who is at the table yeah. of these training programs. Yeah. Because when I came to UC Davis, there were people with disabilities at the table mm -hmm. that were my leaders and trainers. Mm -hmm. There were people of color. There were women. There mm -hmm. were, you know, a whole, you know, LGBTQ people that it was a whole rainbow right of of people with with perspectives and strengths mm -hmm. that they brought and most psychology programs at this point are white males debbie right. um, talks about she went she got her phd at harvard and she talks about all the pictures on the wall of her meeting room mm -hmm. of all these white males right and they're being like maybe one or two in the history there of women wow probably white women and that you know, when you look up and, and that's what you see and that, and then that's what the offerings are, the perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I, I'm also interested in, and I think this is a bigger picture of also making systemic change of, of, of that we need to change who's at the table Absolutely. doing the training Absolutely. and who's at the table of our, you know, in our leadership uh, as well, mm -hmm. you know, making systemic policy. And one, one of the um, questions that you 
that you write in that I, just made me pause. And I really found it powerful that you wrote in the, the toolkit is that when you are talking to, I got to find this, sorry, Diana has to edit this out. Um, <laughs> when you, okay. When you were taught, when, when you're, you, you invited um, people when they're, when they're working on the toolkit and black people are making decisions in their lives to ask themselves, is this good for me? And is this good for black people? Mm. And then I, I also, it also made me think, okay, how could we extend that as a larger community to at a systemic level of when we're making decisions, whether it's who are we hiring for our psychology next mm-hmm clinical psychologist trainer, or who are we taking on our internship, you know, looking at what is the impact of making this decision on African Americans and how can we make it, how can we make it better? Because the disparity is there and and we have, you know, we have to work on um, shifting that. I mean, I think uh, one of the the reasons that we love to talk about it within the, the healing circles themselves is again, just to get, um, black people thinking about what can we do internally for our communities you know, how can we um, make sure that we're taking care of our own because there is no guarantee. You know, history has shown us <laughs> that there is no guarantee. There's no one coming to rescue us as a people. And so um, that is part of, you know, this intention is just planting these seeds um, within people of African ancestry to kind of re-engage with their, their power and their ability to create change wherever they may live and work and be and, and have um, influence. And so the idea of, yes, creating the same um, narrative, the same idea, the same messaging that could be integrated from others, um, you know, on a larger perspective, I think could only, again, create transformation and change in ways that are needed. Um, you know, and I'm going to use a phrase that the that young people use called woke. We need more woke. Um, you know, people who are awake and conscious and aware, um, who are in positions of power and leadership and, and policy and policing and, you know, so forth to be able to, to say, hey, yeah, no, let's take a look at, you know, kind of what this particular law or this policy means um, for, in particular, Black people. Because we know when we look at, again, all of these factors, they are, unfortunately, we are often at the bottom of the totem pole. And so rather than discount, dismiss, not consider, what if people began to be more conscious of that? I agree. Yeah. What are you seeing as the outcome of mm. people that participate in your groups? What do you, mm. what do you see happens, happens for them? Wow. It's, I, it, um, thank you for asking me that. I was just going, wow, because we have another safe black space, which is scheduled for this Saturday. And so we just have sent out another kind of email blast. And then I'll get usually a few emails of, you know, folks are like, count me in or add this person to an email. And, and so um, I say that to share that it's a, it's a powerful, wonderful, amazing experience for the people who participate. And so I want to speak to Safe Black Space just first, right? So these are the healing circles. They started after Stefan Clark was killed. Um, We implement much of the toolkit. They're kind of three-hour sessions that we take kind of on the road um, as we might get requests to come to a particular maybe faith community or a community organization or um, a a program, uh, you know, service program. And so there are about mm, 20 or so kind of volunteers that have kind of gone through this this training around some of what we're talking about. I've read the toolkit and there are small group facilitators and, and we integrate, again, lots of cultural appropriate um, contemporary historical factors to make this real. And so movie clips, um, audio files, um, affirmations, some of the quotes that, that we've shared. Um, and we use these circles are about three hours long. We use about one hour. Not exactly. We kind of go with the flow. <laughs> but the first part is really around just education. What are signs and symptoms of racial trauma and stress? What does it look like? What's the history of racism and oppression and how does it show up in our lives? The second part is really we break into small circles and we talk and we kind of use ground rules and a talking stick and, you know, process what every person has held and heard and, and listened to. 
And then we use the, the third part um, to then talk about like resources and self-care and how do you take care of yourself? And um, so there's kind of a, a structure to it. We use dancing, you know, we use drumming, we use libation. So it's kind of interwoven with all these special, sweet, amazing things. There's laughter, sometimes there's tears. Um, and we informally gather feedback, you know, like, what are you taking away from this? And people, I mean, it's so amazing to me. And I think that's why I continue to, to do this work. Because people are like, I didn't even know I needed this. You know, I've learned about kind of more about who I am. Um, I've learned that community is important to me. Um, people come back. So originally we thought, oh, these are kind of like, pop-up crisis intervention kind of things that we're moving through the community. But we have folks that are like, no, you know, they come back multiple times. Folks are like, hey, I want to volunteer. So we're kind of just now in terms of the Safe Black Spaces, um, actually creating it into a nonprofit um, and, and kind of creating some more structure around it. Um, but that's, that's some of the takeaway from that. And really what the idea was, if people did these, kind of one-time Facebook spaces or so we thought that we could then um, feed them into the EECs, the Emotional Emancipation Circles. And the EECs have like an eight-session curriculum that were, like I said, developed by ABSI, Association of Black Psychologists, and the Community Healing Network and the community actually way back in Ferguson, they, they're happening internationally. And they integrate um, in each session a particular kind of African-centered value um, and many of the things that we do in Safe Black Space. So it's almost like Safe Black Space is an intro. It's just a drop in the bucket. It's um, into the EECs. And so those are ongoing groups um, that meet kind of over, I said, seven or eight or nine different sessions with the same people and do a deeper dive um, into the topics that we're talking about. And, and people who do those, just a small example, there's a a woman now who's become a good friend of mine and we just had dinner last week <clears throat> and she is someone who heard me present about the EECs maybe three years ago. She said, if you ever do one, I want to become part of one. Um, so when I started one, she became part of it. I did it for like three cycles. She was part of the first part, the second part. She became part of the Safe Black Space Volunteer Group. We trained a bunch of people in the EECs after Stefan Clark was was killed. She was one of those folks. So then she offered an EEC. You get the progression, right? So she heard about it, wanted to be um, in an EEC, was part of an EEC, got trained to be a facilitator, facilitated a circle. And it was great. And so she had dinner with me um, last week. And she said, Christy, she said, I'm so grateful, right? Just for the opportunity to do that, how much I've learned and grown. She said, I was actually having a conversation with my boss. Um, who said to me, I can tell, I can see how much you've grown and developed and like just your way of thinking and being and how you are, you know, and it was, and that was another person of color. It wasn't an African-American person, but just to have that level of affirmation, right? And, and part of this work is it's beyond you. It's beyond me. It's about how do we heal each of ourselves individually and then kind of be that ripple out and say, okay, the people then that I know and love and oh, well, maybe at my job and right. And it's just the, again, the conscious ways that we can behave and be and think differently. Yeah. And what I'm hearing in there is that there's, there's healing in providing the healing. And yes. uh, so kind of going back to the beginning of this episode, when you were talking about the, um, racial trauma you personally were experiencing. Right. I'm wondering how doing this work is mm. personally impacting you mm. and your trauma experience. That's a really good question. Um, there is definitely healing in the healing. Um, that is for sure. Um, that many of the people, the, the volunteers, the 20 or so that I mentioned, there's usually at each circle, the, the safe like space will have a good eight to 10 kind of volunteers. And that's about what we need to kind of do all of the things that we do. Um, and they come back saying, I'm coming back because I'm being fed, right? It's like, I, I, as I'm giving, as I'm serving, I'm giving or whatever that term is, right? As I give, I serve, as I give, I receive. Here you go. Um, and so that has been the experience for me as well. However, um, 
this is hard work, right? Like just the idea of what we have been talking about. These are three hour sessions, which really ends up being more like five, six hours by the time we go in, we, we make a space, we make it African centered, we put the quotes on the walls, we bring fabric and baskets and music and like we do, we create sacred healing space. And so, um, and so it is, it can be tiring, it can be exhausting. Um, and so part of this team, where I was mentioning as we're forming our nonprofit have been very intentional about saying, okay, like this summer, let's, let's do a retreat. You know, maybe we take a month off and in July we do a two day retreat, part self care, part strategic planning. Um, but just kind of recognizing, uh, our need to refuel that while we are, um, fed and restored in the process, that there's also a lot of, um, a lot of giving that, that we're doing. Um, and so, so I have seen, for me, what I have seen is, um, this like energy, right? That even though I'm talking about sometimes I get tired, there's this other part of me that feels super like motivated and excited to continue to to spread the word. And um, I had mentioned that we just began to send an e-blast out about our upcoming Safe Black Space this Saturday um, and how, again, as I then get feedback from people that are like, hey, I can't wait or, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's why. That's why I'm doing this work. That's why we're doing this work, that it's bigger, again, than, than me or There's this anniversary, the 400th anniversary mm-hmm. of the forced arrival of Africans at Virginia Colony. And 2019 yep. is the 400th anniversary. Yeah. Yep. And it seems that, and you've written about how this being like a pivot point um, can you just, you know, as we start to close up, can you talk about what, what are we pivoting? What are you pivoting towards? Sure, sure. So I want to actually acknowledge you're, you're absolutely right. 1619, you know, was the forced um, enslavement or the beginning in terms of on this continent of people of African ancestry. And I want to acknowledge that this uh, healing in the face of cultural trauma toolkit was co-authored by a number of folks. And so one of them, uh, two of them I want to make sure I explicitly note is um, Enola Aird, who's the founder and president of the Community Healing Network. Um, and then Dr. Cheryl Tawede Grills, who is a past president of the Association of Black Psychologists. And they were the, the two that really kind of began. Um, and then with, with Dr. Um, Daryl Rowe as well with ABCI, that really kind of began the, the EEC process. And I bring them up because CHN with Enola Aird um, was the, the impetus for marking the 2019 kind of anniversary for this particular movement, these efforts to really be taken on in mass by people of African ancestry. And so I just kind of want to acknowledge that and how this year in particular, there's a, a truth telling tour that um, CHN and ABCI and, and Dr. Grills is on kind of working kind of throughout not only the country, but um, internationally in terms of just spreading this word, getting people trained on the EECs, for example. And so mm-hmm. as we talk about this, the shift, um, this hope for 2020 and beyond, um, again, it's this idea to have in mass people who are more conscious and woke or awake um, and able to create shifts and changes in again, what they do and how they do it and decisions that they make, um, and power positions that they may hold, um, or in, again, just their individual understanding of how to take care of themselves better. So I would love to see kind of what we were talking about earlier, that at a public you know, policy level, institutional level, that shifts happen and continue to happen. And then, you know, all the way down to the, the individual level that people can be healthy and whole and, you know, be able to live a life in which they don't have to be fearful um, of or for their own safety simply because of the color of their skin. Thank you, Dr. Higgins. Well, I'm going to uh, get some links from you of some of the resources that we've talked about today on this episode. And if people want to look more into groups, look more into the toolkit, uh, all, all, all the resources that we've talked about and also a link hopefully to you if people want to connect with 
connect with you directly. I so appreciate you and um, on a personal level and then appreciate you on a global level in terms of what, what you're doing and offering. So thank you. Thank you so much, Diana. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage. Our website is www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www.offtheclockpsych.com.